What's up, everyone? This is Tony Sabata, and you're listening to Startup IP, a podcast about startups and intellectual property. Today, I'm joined by Sheldon Fernandez, the CEO of Darwin AI, a cutting-edge artificial intelligence startup that provides a platform for generating compact, highly optimized neural networks. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Sheldon. Uh, thanks for joining me. Happy to be here today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Um, yeah, so perhaps you can just start off by telling us a little bit about your company and uh, you know what Darwin AI is all about. Yeah, absolutely. So we are about three years old. Uh, we're based uh, in Waterloo, Ontario, Canada, although I'm speaking from, uh, from Toronto, where I live. Uh, and we work uh, specifically with deep learning, which is a very specialized form of artificial intelligence, uh, probably the most advanced kind uh, when you read about artificial intelligence. And we um, have unique technology and IP that facilitates what we call explainable AI. Um, so one of the things you'll often hear about artificial intelligence is that it can do wonderful things, but it's a black box to its designers. So you don't know how it's reaching the conclusions it reaches. Uh, based on the scholarship of our academic team, because we are founded in part by academics, uh, two of whom are professors at Waterloo, we can illuminate this black box and as a result do some pretty cool things like tell you how AI is reaching its decisions, uh, make the artificial intelligence a lot more efficient. Uh, so we've spent a lot of time commercializing that core IP and uh, bringing it to market and are now uh, you know, working with enterprises to do implementation. Okay, so, so what are the advantages of uh, your technology as compared to what other people are doing out there? Yeah, so the big one is very few people have cracked this so-called explainability problem. Uh, there are other academic efforts that have tried to do that, um, but they are limited in some important ways. We actually came up with an important uh, paper that we presented at the NeurIPS conference in Vancouver last December that illustrated some of the benefits. Um, but it basically can generate much more robust and efficient neural networks, again, which is a form of artificial intelligence uh, that makes it much easier to deploy and much easier to implement. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why enterprises are engaging us right now. now. Now, it seems like everywhere you turn, every startup is using artificial intelligence. Uh, however, there was a report last year that said 40% uh, of AI startups had no material use of AI in the tech stack. Um, but Darwin AI is the real deal. I mean, you guys were named in the top 100 innovative AI startups in the world. So congrats on that. Um, what does this recognition mean to you? Yeah, so you, you raise a very good point in that many, many people say they do artificial intelligence. It reminds me a little bit for those of your audience who are old enough, as old as me, certainly, the, the dot-com days where people mm -hmm. just put dot-com at the end of their name and triple their market value. Um, and uh, that's the case with artificial intelligence. A lot of companies say they're doing it, and when you really dig into it, they're doing basic analytics or something similar. Mm -hmm. um, because we've been working with this for about a decade, and you know, Alex and the team, Professor Wong and the team have been doing that, we really have credibility um, when we say we work with it in a way that others do not. So we've produced scholarship that has won awards, we've presented at CVPR and NeurIPS to the big conferences, um, we've published results with the likes of Intel and NVIDIA. And as you mentioned, we've received a number of awards from Gartner, from CB Insights. So we're seen as not just somebody that says we're doing it. We've actually illustrated to the industry that we're doing it. And that means a lot. It gets us a lot of credibility with organizations when they're just trying to shift, sift through who's significant and who's kind of saber rattling. Got it. Yeah. Um, so now when it comes to your AI platform, what are, how are your clients using it? Yeah, so 
our clients use it the way they would any enterprise kind of product. So think about like a SQL server or Oracle, you know, piece of software you install on your, your server um, and then use it in some productive way. They use it as an enterprise piece of software and thus, you know, pay an enterprise license. Um, originally, when we started Darwin, we wanted to do a SaaS model where we, we would have a cloud-based setup. You would upload your AI, you would upload some data, we'd give you back a very efficient AI. Uh, but we very quickly learned from the enterprise that, first of all, there was just too much data to expect them to upload to a server. It was in the terabytes. But moreover, they weren't going to share that data or share this proprietary IP in a public setting. So we created an enterprise product where we can put it on the cloud for you if you want, but it more, more likely will exist um, as, a, as a piece of software on your, in your enterprise, and we will support you with it. Uh, that's the way most clients engage us right now. Okay. And what does the competition look like in this space? Yeah, so there are a number. So the, the two kind of big um, go-to-market or commercial benefits of our technology, one is, is AI efficiency. So making the AI run really, really fast with very little computational resources. Think of artificial intelligence running on your phone or a TV or a watch. And so in that space, there's, you know, the big players would be a company called Exnor that was acquired actually by Apple about three, three months ago. Uh, there's DeepLight, DeepScale. There's a few, you know, companies that are doing this. They use a different approach than us and don't quite have the versatility, but nonetheless, they're doing things like that. There's also like Google who have AutoML and a few of the big tech, big tech companies that do a variation of this. Um, but we have a pretty sophisticated IP that uh, is quite differentiated. In the explainability space, there's, you know, probably about, you know, everybody's making noise around explainability, but there's probably about five or six real players. Uh, we were named by Gartner as one of the, you know, um, the Gartner Cool Vendor Award, I think it was called. And there was about four or five other companies in our space. There was Fritz.ai, I think there was um, Kindred, there was H2O. So there's probably about, you know, four or five uh, players that are really doing it in our space on the explainability side. Uh, now, you've mentioned that you have some IP. Um, just yes. curious as to how you guys uh, decided to protect your intellectual property. How did that come about? Yeah, so it's a great question. So I, I would encourage anybody, of course, that's working with fundamental technology to map out an IP strategy very early on in the lifetime of your company. And so one of the very first things we had to do was this IP, of course, was invented by our professors. Um, and invented it as, as academics at the University of Waterloo. Now, thankfully, Waterloo is very different from most uh, academic institutions in North America in that the, the school does not lay claim on the IP invented by a professor. So they have rights to it. But when we started Darwin, the first thing we had to do was get those professors to fold in that IP into the corporation. And that can be a very uh, subtle exercise that not every academic understands. So you really have to talk them through that and understand what they are doing. And not only do they need to do that, they need to also as owners and founders of the company, uh, basically agree that should they innovate additionally in this domain, and you can make the domain as narrow or wide as you want, that any subsequent innovations will be you know, claimed by the company and not themselves individually. Right. So, so once you do that, um, and now it's within the domain of the company. The question is, how do you protect it? Um, you know, the the technique that we usually see is you file a provisional, which is just it, it's it's not very expensive, but it gets your name on record as having an innovation in this area. 
Um, and then from provisional, you move to a proper patent application. Um, you need to decide what geographies you're filing that application within. Is it just in Canada? Is it in North America? Are you laying claim in Europe? And then once you do that, um, you then basically uh, would likely file an international patent application and pick the geographies where you want to file it. Then it takes some time before that application is granted. It can take years. Um, so we currently have two international patent applications for the explainability and the optimization. Um, you know, we have, I think, 24 months or something before we hear back and that type of thing. Um, but the main purpose with a patent application is it gets you on record as laying claim to this IP at the beginning. Um, and, uh, you know, it's granted much later down the road. But the important point is you're documenting and you've gone through the process of having some level of protection. Now, when I speak to uh, startups about IP, I mean, they're all keen to protect the intellectual property, but one thing always comes up and that's budget. You know, they yeah. don't have, you know, uh, the capital to spend on tangible assets like IP. Yeah. Um, how, how was this different for you guys? How did you guys uh, manage to, uh, you know, invest, uh, you know, in patents and rather than just, you know, leave it? Yeah. Um, the first thing I would say is we, we were, there's a difference between a company like ours that has foundational technology and somebody that's building higher up the stack. So if you're creating like a travel application um, or an application, you know, that is just by the end user, you have to ask yourself, like, what's the unique IP in there? And is it worth protecting? Right. So that's the first kind of calculation you have to make. But if you're working with fundamental tech, you know, you've invented a new encryption algorithm or something in quantum computing. Um, you do need to protect it, even if it's to do a provisional, which is a couple thousand dollars. What I would recommend, and we were very lucky, um, we went through the Creative Destruction Lab program in Toronto, kind of like the US's Y Combinator program. And one of the mentors there put us in touch with a boutique firm that only deals with very tight type of uh, IP applications like this. You'll have better luck going to a boutique firm than one of the big ones, one of the, you know, Bay Street or Wall Street firms that is going to charge you an arm and a leg. So um, you need to make that investment as a as a uh, company at a startup stage. It can be a bit painful because, of course, funding is a question. We were also lucky that, you know, within I think six months of starting Darwin, we uh, we got a you know we secured our seed round and, and a you know three million dollars and you know earmarked some of that for IP protection. And, and I'm just curious, did IP play a role in uh, you guys securing that funding from those investors? Yes, it did. Uh, so the first thing they wanted to make sure of was had the professors sign that IP over into the company. Mm -hmm. That's one of the first things investors will ask, especially with an academic founded team, uh, because that can be very tricky. We had to talk our academics through like, you know, how that would work and what domain they were signing things over. Uh, so, it, so that we had done that number one was important and that we had had a couple provisionals and that we had a roadmap to protecting it further was, was also important. Um, it might not have been as important to another company, again, that wasn't as foundational as we were, but for, in our in our case, it was significant, yeah. And, and for other startup founders uh, out there, you know, what would you say they should watch out for when it comes to IP? Um, so number one, uh, do, do, do your due diligence on who else has a similar patent. Um, in, 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 in a neighboring area, like who, you know, it, and it can be, it can be tough as a founder when you think you have something radically unique um, to not, to almost withhold 
doing a due diligence because you're scared that somebody has and you don't, right? right? So be, on, mm -hmm. be honest with yourself, right? Okay. Um, does Google have something similar? Does Microsoft have, it doesn't mean you need to abandon your plan, but, but you know, be aware, do your research of who is in an adjacent area that may impinge on what you're doing. Um, and then, uh, you know, do at least a provisional, right? Mm -hmm. Do at least a provisional application that gets you on record as laying claim to something. And, you know, there are other interesting things you can do at, at our company. We started a program where we reward people uh, at the firm for coming up with provisional applications because they, as engineers, as the people on the front line, they may also have ideas about things that you can protect that may not occur to you as a founder. So that's another useful, interesting way to, you know, start building up a bit of an IP war chest around unique things you are doing. Um, so that's, you know, I, I would recommend uh, thinking about that as well. And it can get lost in the day-to-day, -day, right? As a startup, you're so busy getting funding, developing your application, determining product market fit, that this is going to be number nine of 10 on your list. But every quarter, check in and just see where am I, where am I with, you know, my IP? How many patents do I have? How many, um, you know, applications are pending? Uh, have I done a, a, an evaluation recently in the marketplace of who, other ha of who else has IP? Those are all the important things. Um, and when you get to higher fund, higher funding level uh, raises, your Series A, your Series B, that's gonna, they're they're going to want to see those. And then, of course, if you think exit five, ten years down the road, whoever might be a potential exit um, are going to want, you know, the the they're in in part buying the patents. So having that robustness up front will, you know, serve you well down the road. Now, were there any surprises about uh, intellectual property? Anything that made you say, boy, I wish I had known that? Yeah, I mean, one thing is, so this is sort of related to patents, but also, you know, think about what you want to trademark. You know, do you want to trademark your company name? Do you want to trademark your software platform? Uh, one of the interesting things for us was, you know, we wanted to trademark the term Darwin or Darwin AI. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we had used the name informally since 2017, um, and then some company unrelatedly in biotechnology or something, you know, they filed their patent application two months before we did, or sorry, their trademark, trademark application yeah. for Darwin, right? Even though we were using it longer and we were like, oh, there's another, there's another company that's already trying to trademark this. And so we're going back and forth on who had it first and, mm -hmm. you know, we're showing them artifacts and stuff. So time is your enemy. The longer you wait, it's your enemy with this, right? Absolutely. Um, so that was a bit of a surprise uh, that somebody else had also came up with the name Darwin AI and, and had tried to trademark it. Um, yeah. So just before we uh, before we end here, um, I understand, um, I think Alex uh, and Darwin AI and Universal Waterloo recently published a paper on uh, using your platform to detect um, COVID-19 um, yes. from, from, from x-rays. Can you tell us a bit yeah. about that? Yeah. So Alex, in addition to being our chief scientist and founder, our co-founder, um, also, of course, is a professor at the University of Waterloo. And uh, the, his academic interest has always traditionally been, um, you know, AI and healthcare. Um, he's done work with, you know, cancer images and CT scans and stuff like that. So when the pandemic became acute, he was very quickly able to pivot with uh, some of his academic team and create a neural network to look at x-rays and diagnose COVID and Corona. Mm -hmm. um, what was remarkable was, you know, their decision, I, I won't, you know, uh, lay claim to this, to open source it. 
they said, look, we're not doing this for commercial gain. We are giving this you know, network away to the community. Um, anybody who wants it can take it and anybody who wants to contribute to it can contribute. And the response was just overwhelming. We had researchers reaching out from the UK, from Turkey, from Yemen, from India, Bangladesh, all asking if they could get uh, access to this, the code and then how could they contribute. Uh, so it was a really nice way to take our skills as a company and create something that we hope will at least in a small way help with you know what the mm -hmm. what the world is grappling with. Well, we really appreciate all the good work you guys are doing. Um, so so Darwin AI right now is in a growth phase, I, I believe. Um, what, what's next? Well, we were in a growth phase. Of course, what's happening around the world is a challenge to every startup right now. Um, so you know we're monitoring the situation care carefully and you know, um, you know, re re uh, projecting our, our, our growth targets, you know, in, in a sobering light, given the economic realities around the world. But what's next for us is, you know, we've brought this platform to the enterprise. Um, we've had a good reception around it. It's to really continue, you know, building up that commercial traction with this core platform that the team have developed, um, you know, and uh, bringing the explainability tools to market and you know uh demonstrating that product market fit and then building the next phase of the company around that um so that'll probably happen you know throughout the summer very much you know selling the software approving it iterating on it and then uh you know either at the end of this year or beginning of 2021 thinking about you know our next fundraise and the next the next phase of the company now the uh, toronto waterloo corridor has become quite the hub for uh, artificial intelligence and it's really nice to see you guys on the list of the top ai startups any comments on that so th there was th there was an article in beta kit that said you know this year eight of the top 100 companies were in canada um whereas the previous year only one company element ai was on the list so it really speaks to the developing talent and um industry that we've been able to create in Toronto, Waterloo, and I'll even add Montreal uh, around artificial intelligence. Um, the challenge I would issue to all my Canadian brethren is we can't get complacent about the good things that we have and the industry we've been able to create, right? Everybody around the world is innovating in the same way, Israel, United States, China, UK. So it's great to see. Um, but we got to keep focused and continue innovating and continue, continue um, balancing, um, you know, the, the artificial intelligence innovation with the ethical stuff that we, you know, I think we bring a unique perspective on as Canadians uh, in, you know, what is a very hopefully tolerant society. Um, so it's great to see. And, uh, you know, I, I wish, I hope next year there's 16 companies on the list <laughs> or 20, right? Of course. Yeah. Well, Sheldon, this has been a lot of fun. I'd like to uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, you know, speak to me. Uh, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for having me and uh, look forward to staying in touch. We showed the success. Thank you. Uh, this is Sheldon Fernandez, CEO of Darwin AI, reminding you to put IP on your to-do list.